Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Twenty years ago, the worship pastor at the church I was going to pulled together a team to visit a missionary friend of his in Campo Grande, Brazil. Campo Grande and the surrounding area has about a million people in the state of Mato Grosso do Sul in south central Brazil. I got a map because I didn't know where it was before I went there. See down here near the bottom, Campo Grande. The pastor's plan was to take a group of people from our worship ministry to help a new church in Nova Campo Grande, means new Campo Grande, a poor barrio outside the main city. God led me to become part of that mission team. The team planned to help the church by doing music at a series of special events with speakers from the Brazilian Mother Church giving evangelistic messages in Portuguese. The team would also help the new church by holding music clinics uh, to provide musical training. We would stay in the homes of the families of the new church, hoping to get to know them at least a little uh, during the short 10-day trip. So this was all in the days before cell phone cameras and before I was doing video stuff, so I don't have any pictures to show you. I'm sorry about that. But I do remember some of the songs that we learned in Portuguese before we went down there. Here's part of one with, apologize, with apologies to anyone who actually knows Portuguese. <laughs> estamos aqui na casa de Deus, estamos em nome, proclamamos o rei. Estamos aqui para cantar novas canções. The words are, we are here in the house of God, exalting your name, proclaiming you as king. We are here singing new songs. And for us, all the songs were new. Although I did get to do some singing down there, our plans changed abruptly when we arrived. Our host pastor had nearly died from a ruptured appendix just a few days before. And although he was recovering, he wouldn't be able to attend most of the services. One of the host families was not able to participate. Several of the mission team, including me, caught nasty colds. Most of the sound equipment we were supposed to use did not work. There were major national soccer games on TV the same nights as our special services. That was a big deal down there. Some of the mission team's families at home experienced serious health problems. And the language barrier was a lot more difficult than we expected it to deal with. For example, we learned that we had been mispronouncing the words to I surrender all. So it sounded like to the Portuguese listeners... I poke myself in the eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> not, not the message we were trying to get across here. In, in addition, what, what should have, would, would have normally been a five-minute conversation might take more than an hour as we tried to figure out what each other were saying. But despite all these problems, God used us there. Maybe not in the way that we had planned, though. Because I'm good at fixing stuff, I was able to diagnose and fix not only the sound system, but the pastor's computer and printer, even though it was all in Portuguese. <laughs> I fixed a lot of other things around the church and our host's house. None of the small congregation even owned a car, so the pastor was particularly grateful that I fixed his bicycle. 
And all that time spent trying to communicate with our host brought us closer together. We could laugh at each other's feeble attempts at a a little-known language. It was like playing a cross between Pictionary and Gestures. I had this little Portuguese-English dictionary. Sometimes it helped, and sometimes it confused us, because, as it turned out, the dictionary had British English and Portugal Portuguese, which are not quite the same as American English and Brazilian Portuguese. (laughs) We saw God working in the lives of these people, though. They wanted to serve him and tell their friends and neighbors of the good news of God's son, Jesus. And although we didn't understand all their words, their prayer times were awesome. They prayed, they prayed with power and conviction, filled with a spirit for long periods. They loved each other with God's love. We went to Brazil with plans to minister to them, but I'm sure that they ministered to us much more. Our lives were changed because of what God showed us through them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that you would use me to speak truth into the hearts of these people, and I pray that you would open their hearts and that we could understand um, your will for our lives and and how, how much you love us. I thank you for this time this morning, and speak through me again in Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. So one of the things you're going to see today is a lot of maps, because I really think it helps understand better what God's saying through the verses we're going to look at. So the first one, got a map, it should be the next thing, there we go. And I do this little thing where it's got a... uh, There we go. Paul started at Antioch. He's on his second missionary journey. Paul and Silas traveled overland through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening churches as they went. They visited the churches Paul had planted in Derbe, Lystra, and Iconium. That's where Timothy joined them. Remember that? Just last week. So now they were about to start off for new territory places where the good news had never been heard. Where would they go next? The Bible doesn't say exactly what their plans were. But I'm pretty sure they were planning to go to Ephesus, this big city, big city on the coast. The big city on the coast. But let's see what happened. Verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Whoa! The Holy Spirit told them not to share the good news in Asia. And it's important to notice that this Asia is not what we think of as Asia. It's not the big continent. It's just a province in southwestern Turkey. Here's another map again. That map again. So see, Asia is just down here, and they were not to go down there. That's Ephesus. That's the main city in Asia at that time. Um, they went along this route, kind of b- between Phrygia and Galatia. Okay, so not really going in either one of those. So, but it's a, isn't it funny to say it says been forbidden by the Holy Spirit? How did the Holy Spirit forbid them? Well, it doesn't really say. 
Maybe it's like that verse, when God closes the door, he opens a window. Oh, wait, that's not a verse. <laughs> that's not in the Bible. But somehow it was clear to Paul, Silas, and Timothy that the Holy Spirit was redirecting their plans. It certainly was not Satan thwarting their plans. It was my first point. Following Christ means sometimes not doing things we planned to do. Can this really be true, though, even when we put a lot of time and energy into our plans? I mean, Ephesus sounds like a really good plan to me. It really is true. Following Christ means following Christ and not necessarily my own well-conceived plans. They were following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 16.9 says, the, ma- the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In Isaiah 30.21, Isaiah is speaking of God's guidance. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. These guys had to be paying attention to God's leading. The same is true for us today. If we want to be obedient, if we want to follow His best path for us, we have to pay attention to His guidance. And just because He's saying no to even our best laid plans is not a reason to be discouraged. God loves us and wants the best for us, the best for us all. Oh, and by the way, we know that later Paul did get to share the good news in Ephesus. We'll see that in a few weeks. It was a good plan. It's just that God's timing was different. Verse 7. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Wow, again, another closed door. Let's look at that map. So, yeah, so they wanted to go up north to Bithynia, but the Spirit said, no, don't go there. Another, another plan. Uh, there were, and part of the reason they wanted to go up there is they knew that there were Jewish settlements up there. So it, it made a lot of sense. But that's not what God wanted. You might notice in this verse it uses the expression the Spirit of Jesus. Um, but it, it, it just means the same thing, the Holy Spirit. I think Luke is just trying to keep from being repetitive as he writes. And again, we know that the good news did make its way up there. Some years later, the Apostle Peter wrote to the Christians there. In 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So there were definitely believers up there. The word got up there. So back to verse 8. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Okay, here's another, another map. They came down to Troas. Troas is a port city on the Aegean Sea, not too far from the city of where Troy had stood 1,100 years before. You know the Trojan horse? Yeah, that's it's near there. Verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is the first night after they arrived in Troas. And this is not a dream Paul had, but a prophetic vision from God. So where is Macedonia? Another map. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. 
<laughs> well, you can see Macedonia is right there. It's across something. I see a little problem this morning. But. So he's over you know, here in Troas. Macedonia is across the Aegean Sea. Um, it's modern-day Greece. It's in Europe. It's on a whole different continent. Okay, and so that, that brings me to a, a new biblical version of that old saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window. It should be, when God closes in Asia, he opens a Macedonia. <laughs> think you know, catch on? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Okay. Verse 10. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there's a couple of things to notice about this verse. The first is their reaction to the vision. It was, they immediately responded to it. They didn't hang around and lollygag. They didn't wait for something else to, make, to be sure that they were doing the right thing. The next day, they were trying to find a ship that could take them to Macedonia as quickly as possible. They understood the urgency of the man in the vision, pleading with them to come and share the good news of Jesus. Proverbs three twenty-seven and 28 says, Do not hold good from those to whom it is due when it, is, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Don't put it off. My second point, following Christ means sometimes abruptly changing plans. Another thing to notice in this verse is a sudden change of pronoun. <laughs> What's a pronoun? I'll, you'll see. All throughout Acts up to this point, the author has used what we call the third person. They said, they passed through, they came to Mysia. Suddenly, it's, we sought to go into Macedonia. What changed? Well, Luke, the author of Acts, is now part of the team. He will continue with them on and off through the rest of the book of Acts. So how did Paul and Luke get together? The Bible doesn't tell us. Did Luke plan to meet Paul in Troas? It doesn't seem likely since Paul wasn't planning to go that way. Luke was a doctor. Maybe Paul or Silas or Timothy, as a patient, told him about Jesus and Luke believed We don't really know. But Luke understood the necessity to go to Macedonia and spread the good news. He became one of the team. And without Luke, we wouldn't have the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts that we're studying. He was kind of important. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Verse 11. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. So they got, got on board a ship and sailed to Macedonia. Let's hope this map works better this time. There we go. They went across through Samothrace to Neapolis and finally to Philippi. So that's about 150 miles in two days. 
God certainly gave them favorable winds. And then they traveled the last 10 miles by road to Philippi. And you've, you've heard of Philippi, right? That's from the, Paul's letter to the Philippians. That's people that live in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, which meant that it was self-governing and free from being taxed by Rome. It was a place where a lot of Roman soldiers lived. But it did not have a synagogue, which meant that there were probably fewer than 10 Jewish men in the entire city. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. Stop there. Paul's standard procedure when he entered a city was to teach in a synagogue on the Sabbath. Right? Remember Acts 13, 14, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down to teach. Or a little later, in Acts 17, verse 1, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. That's it. That's his usual thing to do. But since there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, they went outside the city gate to a river where they thought they might find Jewish people praying outside. Apparently it was a common place, kind of place for uh, Jewish people to meet and pray together. So back, back on verse 13. And we sat down Continuing on, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. It seems that only women were at this place of prayer. So instead of teaching men in the synagogue, they were speaking to a small group of women outside. This seems like an inauspicious beginning. Where was the man from Macedonia that Paul had seen in his vision? It's not. It's not inauspicious. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free man there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, so, what, so what happened? Verse 14 the, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple fabrics a worshiper of God was listening. Thyatira was a city back over in Asia with a sizable Jewish community. It was also a major producer of purple dye. Lydia was a businesswoman who had moved to Philippi to sell purple fabrics, what we would call high-end merchandise. She was probably a widow and well-off. She was also a worshiper of God, it says, which meant she was a Gentile follower of Judaism, though not a full convert. And she was listening to the good news that these men were sharing. So the rest of verse 14 again. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I just, I just love this wording. She didn't become a believer because Paul convinced her. She didn't respond because she thought these guys might be good at selling purple cloth as they traveled around. The Lord opened her heart to respond. That's my third point, is following Christ starts with God's initiative. Luke 24, 45. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Again, in John 6, 44, Jesus is speaking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Without the Lord opening our hearts, no one can understand and accept the good news. 
because it's 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world, which who is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So this rich Gentile businesswoman became the first Christian believer in Europe. Verse 15, And when she and our household had been baptized, stop there, not only did she believe, but she shared the good news with her household, her children, her servants, everyone that lived with her. All of them believed too. It's not the first time or the last time we'll see the entire household believing together. It's a lot more common in cultures that have a very strong family unit. Back in Acts eleven fourteen, an angel is telling Cornelius, and, and he will speak to you words by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Or in Acts sixteen thirty one, this is coming up. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 18.8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. So it was, it was a, a lot more common thing. And it can be today. And it is in other parts of the world today. So back in verse 15, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It, it is likely that Lydia had a large house. It's where the church at Philippi would meet later on. The hospitality that Lydia showed is basically sharing what she had with others. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. Hospitality is often inconvenient. But that should not be a reason to avoid it. My, that's my fourth point. Following Christ means sometimes inconveniencing ourselves. That's, it sounds long. Inconvenient, making ourselves inconvenienced for others. So wait, is it only rich people with big houses that are supposed to show hospitality? Uh, no. Galatians 6.10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and, expe- and especially those to those who are of the household of faith. Hebrews 13.2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So thinking back again to 20 years ago, one of the most important things that I learned there in Brazil is about hospitality. The family I stayed with were certainly poor by our standards. Their family of four hosted four of our team members Their whole house was about the size of this room. It had three small bedrooms, a bathroom, a small kitchen, and a front room where we ate and talked. Each house in the neighborhood had a yard with a high wall around it and a dog to keep out prowlers. The the richer houses had two dogs, a small starter dog to wake up the big mean dog. (laughs) To visit a house instead of knocking on the door or the gate stood outside the gate and clapped, setting off the dog. This was the doorbell. (laughs) But despite their poverty, these people were happy. They generously made meals for us, and even their friends and neighbors, if they happened to stop by. They went out of their way way to be gracious and hospitable. They shared everything they had with us and loved us despite our blunders. We went there to serve them, but they certainly served us more. 
Hospitality is, a friendly, is the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. The quality of receiving and treating them in a warm, friendly, generous way. It's not related to how much stuff a person has. I think we in this culture as a whole have a lot to learn about hospitality. It's a skill that can be improved by practice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you not only ask us to be hospitable, but we can, it's a way that we can show love to others. I thank you for your word this morning. Um, and I thank you that it, it doesn't mean spending, giving people a bunch of money. It's, it's, not, it's not based on how much we have. It's the people that we ministered to in this poor place, and, and I think a lot of the rest of the world are, understand hospitality much better than we do here in the U.S. But I thank you that we can, um, if, we, if we are listening, when we listen closely to your spirit, that you will guide us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. And that means loving each other and those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.